Listen up, real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and agents. You're in the right place. Unlocking the secrets to real estate investing and entrepreneurship. Welcome to the Titanium Vault, hosted by RJ Bates III. Here's RJ. Hey guys, welcome to the Titanium Vault. I'm your host, RJ Bates. Today I'm sitting down with Antonio Dowdy. How you doing, man? Doing great, my man. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, have you uh, have you recovered from the Closers Olympics? Licked, licked your wounds there? Uh, uh, barely. I'm actually been working with the same guys who uh, were dealing with that deflate gate with Bill Belichick. Uh, <laughs> a little stressful, but uh, me and the commission, yeah, we got, they're going to have a handle. So. I feel you. Me, me and you both, my man. Me and you both. So uh, we're, we're going to talk about the Closures Olympics here in a little bit. But for the people that don't know you, uh, share a little bit about what it is that you do in real estate investing. Okay. Uh, so really simple. Uh, I'm the sales manager over at Equity Cash Offer uh, based out of here in Dallas. Addison, if you want to get more specific, uh, we do wholesale, uh, fix and flip. No buying holds right now just because, I mean, there's no money in that. Who wants to get $125 a month? Right. Um, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, right now we're trying to do our best. Obviously, uh, you know, Donnie says take over the world. We're in, I think right now, 22 different markets uh, active. Nice. So, yeah, just kind of get into it. Awesome, man. Yeah. And so for people that don't know about Equity Cash Offer, that's what Donovan Ruffin, he, he's the owner of, of the company. And, and I interviewed Donnie. Oh, man, I think he was like the seventh or eighth episode. So, you know, we're talking about 120 plus episodes ago of the podcast. And it's funny, I would say go back and listen to it, but his business has completely changed. Back then he was talking about, you know, me and my boys are just slinging out like 500 bandit signs a weekend. And, and you guys are a lot different now. Right. So, oh, yeah. yeah. So let, let's talk about that. Y'all are in 22 different markets and, and you're, you know, you're in charge of acquisitions there. So. What does that look like as far as the team goes and, and what you're in charge of on a day-to-day -day basis? So on a, on a day-to-day -day basis, I mean, obviously we have a, a very large team of VAs. Um, one thing that we did actually, this is before the whole coronavirus, um, I actually went back and recruited some of my guys. I used to be in the gym industry. I uh, went back and recruited some of those guys who live in the Midwest. I'm originally from Kansas. And some of those guys actually work for us virtual before everybody was doing like the whole work from home thing like it was cool right we were all we were already doing that uh, ahead of the curve you know um so we have those guys of course we have the uh, all of our in-house guys so day-to-day -day basis basically obviously calling people uh doing doing tons of uh follow-up on warm leads right va does our cold calling for us yeah. um and basically calling closing those down uh and honestly just really hammering in and focus on getting like the absolute best price that's it. So I, I want to kind of blend the conversation here between what you and I both experienced. So for the people who don't know, Antonio was one of the 12 closers during the Closers Olympics, as well as myself. So we're going to kind of blend the conversation between our experience at the Closers Olympics, as well as what we do on a day to day basis. And I think it's funny right off the bat, you bring up follow up with warm leads, yeah. right? Because during the closers Olympics, we were expected to close deals. They they said, you know, the whole promo was 30 minutes. Yeah. Right. But for the majority of us, it was taking anywhere between eight to 10 minutes to get someone on the phone. So let's call it 20 minutes mm -hmm. to close a deal. 
Now, I'm not saying that's impossible, but on a day-to-day -day basis, how often are you actually closing a deal like that on the first call? Okay, we'll call it the second call because they said these were vetted leads. And, and look, we all of us closers kind of have our own opinions about how vetted those leads were. But let's say, you know, 20 minutes. How often are you doing that in comparison to closing a deal after your sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth follow-up? Yeah, so like, uh, I tell my guys all the time, if if you send me a lead to like run the ARV on and you think, okay, this might be a deal, let me talk to my manager, right? Uh, and I, I look at that phone call and it's like less than 30 minutes, I literally won't even run it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm right there with you, man. I mean, you, you know, they were talking about we have to build a rapport. And, yeah. and that was one of the things that I got nicked on. You know, everybody was talking about how aggressive I was during my calls. Mm -hmm. And I think the same thing for you, which... We'll get to this later, but you were at a huge disadvantage going first. Just just throwing that out there, you know. But uh, you know, building rapport is something that comes natural between a closer and a seller, and the closer reading how the seller wants the conversation to go, right? Yeah. And and when you're talking about you've got this shot clock in, in your face that you're looking at. I mean, it's like you, you stop caring about building rapport, you know, and, and we were kind of unnaturally rushing those phone calls. So when you're talking about those 30 minutes, what are you really looking for from your callers? Like, what are what are you expecting from them to do during those those 30 minutes, 30 plus minutes? So when they're when they're over 30 minutes, the first thing I ask them before I even want to hear about, you know, the, the property work, because none of that matters. Right. All all these sellers are going to lie regardless. Um, but I need to know who the person is, right, and why they're selling. I say, you know, who is the guy? Why is he selling? What can you tell me about him? And I'm not talking mm -hmm. about, oh, he has he has a house and it's you know 1,200 square feet. I need to know his name is blank. He's from you know Colorado. Uh, he wants to move to you know X city, and you know he has uh, you know sixty thousand dollars worth of credit card debt, right? right? Those are the type of factors and things that I'm looking for. Things that I can actually uh, determine what his underlying value is that he needs. You know what I mean? Because when when you don't get those things, you only get what I consider to be surface objections, right? Like I'm a tired landlord. Like, okay, great. You were a landlord for the last 10 years. What changed? You know, right? I, I want to know what was that changing factor that's making you even sit on the phone with this VA from who knows where that you can barely understand. Exactly. And, and I'll actually share a funny story about that. So, you know, I, I got, I, I consider it a heater uh, mm -hmm. on my first day in the Closers Olympics. I got two really good leads, yep. two sellers that were ready to go. They were they were willing to make a decision in less than 10 minutes. That's how motivated they were. And it allowed me to get the verbal agreements, right? What no one knows about is, is that I actually had a seller out of California who's selling me a property in Alaska mm -hmm. that somehow found out that I was a part of the Closers Olympics. And she was texting me during my first round. And she texted me and said, well, seeing that you're a part of the Closers Olympics, you must not be, what's up, Donnie? What's up? <laughs> she said, you must not be that motivated to want to buy my property because I haven't heard from you today. Oh, no. And, and I actually had to convert that over and I got her to sell or finance the property and we're in escrow right now set to close on the 30th. Okay. And, but the funny thing about that is, is while I was talking to her, like you're, you're saying, she had owned this property since the early 2000s 
And, and you know, this was a, an asset that she had bought that was for passive income and she was viewing it as a part of her retirement. And, and the questions that you just brought up right there is like, what changed? Right. Why are you now today wanting to sell this? And then that's when she came out and said, well, I found some land here in California that I really want to buy and I want to do this with it. And I, I don't want to own any more in Alaska because I'm kind of done with that aspect of my life. And just really coming out with those details where it's like, now I fully understand how to solve her problem, right? And this, you know, people that have listened to my podcast have heard me say, we don't buy houses, we solve people's problems. But this is what I'm talking about where it's like, you're, you're saying, it's gonna take that 20, 30, 40 minutes to get to that where you really actually know what the problem is you're trying to solve and not just taking that surface level, you know, first answer that they give you, which is, I'm a tired landlord. You yeah. Know, what does that actually mean? Yeah. So exactly. I appreciate you bringing up, but so when you are working with your team, how, how often are you actually just analyzing what your team's doing in comparison that you're the one on the phone and you're the one actually trying to close deals? So I, so I do, I do both. Um, I'll probably spend probably 75% of my day uh, on the phones. The other 25 is analyzing their deals, but you know, I, I train them a lot different. They're not pre-analyzing deals or doing what people consider to be pre-work, right? They're not, looking about the property, doing all this research and then wasting time calling someone who doesn't pick up, right? Their, their goal is to get the best price. Uh, once they get that same price three times, then they kick it over to me. And then I just go ahead and just run the Airbnb while I'm already on the phone with somebody else. Gotcha. Time. So when they're on the phone, are they getting off of the phone and then calling them back to make an offer or y'all keeping them on the phone and you're making an offer right then and there? So uh, if they if they have to make an offer, I have to do it on the phone. I try I try and train my guys to not give an offer at all at all costs, and only be only because every time, like I know people believe in like anchor prices and ranges, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm so I wouldn't say selfish and greedy, right? In my own sense, but I just know that if let's say I anchor you at fifty, right? right. Like 49, 48, 47, 46, 45, you're costing the company money. Don't do that shit on my time. I don't care what book they read at. That's just how. Right. I, you know, so if they if they have to give one, I prefer them to give it on the phone. They just message me in Podio. Um, I, I run it real quick and then we go ahead and do it. But like if in my mind, if a customer doesn't have an idea of what they want for their property, they're not really that motivated. They're just fishing. They're just going to waste your time. So let's use this scenario where it, because I think this is more common than anything, yeah. especially when when you're talking about right now, there's a certain level of training that you've given your guys. And so maybe they're a little bit more talented than some of the people listening to this. And I mean that with no disrespect, mm -hmm. there's a lot of people out there that just haven't taken the time to make this a part of the craft, right? right. Yeah. Like that we've spent years getting better at this. So let's use this scenario. Cause I think a lot of people listening are like, that sounds great, but I run into this scenario a lot. Yeah. Right off the bat, mm -hmm. you know, say you're running your numbers and it's like, look, the max I could offer would be 50,000. And the seller just comes right out and says, I want 75. Mm -hmm. What are you telling your guys to do there when you're saying, don't make an offer? Mm -hmm. How are you getting them down to where you need them to be or even less than where you need them to be? Okay. So a lot of times when, when they're giving you that number, right? When you say, you know, what's the absolute best whatever you'll sell to me for, right? That number that comes out of the customer is purely based on that house. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like when they're saying 75,000, it's comprised of something. And the easiest way I can explain it to you and the way I explain it to my guys is like this. RJ, if I was going to give you a $100,000 check tomorrow, right, and you knew it was coming tomorrow, what would you spend it on? You know, 
you're already going to be able to tell me what you're going to buy. You see what right. I'm saying? So my goal isn't to figure out if you need 100,000, it's figure out what you're planning on doing with it and see what's the quantitative value that might be associated with that. You know what I mean? Right. So when a customer, I tell them to build rapport. So the customer says, hey, I'm at 75. We know we can only give you 50, you know. Uh, so really, realistically, Mr. Customer, if we're able to come sort of agreement, what were you planning on doing, you know, uh, once you do end up selling X property, right? He might say, I'm going to, oh, I plan on moving to Chattanooga, Tennessee, right? Oh, that's fantastic. What are you going to do in Chattanooga, Tennessee? We're going to build rapport because I'm going to take him off that price for a few minutes, right? He's going to tell me everything about Chattanooga, Tennessee, blah, blah. So, and then it's going to be, so what's it going to take? You know, what do you think it's going to take for you to be able to move to Chattanooga, Tennessee to be with your, your Aunt Sally or whomever, you know? Because right. like, chances are they've already have a bottom dollar in their mind and it may not even be related to the house, but people mess up. That's what their issue is, is customer deep down might really only need 40 grand, right? But you mm -hmm. run the ARP, see your MAO is 70. You see what I'm saying? So yep. then you, offer this, they offer this guy, you know, 50 to 60 when the guy really don't need a 40 grand. Of course they said yes. People feel fantastic. Like, oh yeah, I got a deal. All okay. you did was money. That's all, all, all you did was literally just cost yourself money. That's it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, it's funny because I've always said, and I actually have a couple of videos of me doing this where I very rarely actually talk about the price. I normally, if you go back and you watch, I almost only bring it up one time. And I very quickly shift from that to going back to how that solves the issues that they told me earlier in the call, where it's like I'm reminding them like, Hey, remember you told me that you need to move to Chattanooga, Tennessee, and it was only going to cost you this much. That's what I'm, I can give you that. I can solve that problem. But because of these issues, I can't really go much higher than that. And, and I, what are your thoughts about explaining your offer? Do y'all ever do that? Because I'm, I think some people disagree with me. Quite a few people disagree with me. I'm very transparent with how I got to my offer where I actually kind of, reverse engineer it back to them and i say look this is how i got down to forty thousand. do y'all do that or do you kind of just slowly try to walk them down to the number that you want them at so like it, it's a, it, it's in levels i'll have them do that so like uh they'll build some rapport with the customer right get get that first ask uh have the customer tear down their own house right get that second ask then go ahead and ask the customer again, you know, on a realistic level, because by this time we build up a board that we're friends, you know what I mean? And if we just can't get them to budge, but you know, they, they like you, they have enough rapport and they want to do business with you. That's when someone like yourself, it's smart to go ahead and do that explanation because if they can see where you're coming from and then align themselves with it, say, okay, he wants to help me out, but now I understand why he can't do it at that price. Then you have a higher percentage chance. So yeah, sometimes then I do have them go ahead and explain, you know, Hey, this is our margin. This is what we play with. You know, we're not trying to get rich, but obviously I'm not going to go negative because if I go negative, I can't help you or anybody else. Right. So I know at Equity Cash Offer, y'all have both an acquisitions department and a dispositions department, right? Mm -hmm. So how often are you as being in charge of acquisitions communicating with the dispositions department and saying, hey, where are the buyers buying at right now? Where do I actually need to be acquiring properties at? How often are those conversations being had internally? Oh, there they, they happen all the time. That's actually how I got really good. I spent, uh, so this is what happened. When I first got here, I locked up uh, like 17 contracts my first month. And uh, me being super sales McGee, you know, right? I'm thinking, oh, I'm rich. This is it. This is it, right? 
And uh, that month goes by and literally zero of them sold. I was pissed, RJ. I was sick. So I'm like, all right, something's obviously wrong. Next month, I locked up uh, 18, 18. And then the last day of the month, I locked up two more. I'm like, I got 20 contracts. There's no way nothing sells, you know? So then I end up selling one. It was uh, for, it ended up being like a $17,000 assignment fee, Blaze in San Antonio. I'll never forget. And literally, the only reason why it was a deal was because I'm, it was an old guy and his son had died and he had just adopted his, his grandson. And so he's going to live with him. He's like, hey, you know, it's my son's old house. He was overseas in the military, all these things. Yada, yada. I just had a great conversation with the guy, right? Right. He's like, he's like, you know, I know you sound like a young investor. You want to try and do something. You know, I was young once. You know, where do you need to be at to make a kid? He goes, where do you need to be at to make money? I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, put me somewhere, you know, that, that makes you some money. You know, I'll do what I can for you. So I give this guy a price. And then he's like, you know what? Go ahead and take another five grand for yourself. It's exactly what he said. I was like, wow. I'm like, all right, well, that's weird. You know, and that's the first one I ever got sold. So like once that one actually got assigned, you know, I went back and uh, I, I go I go back and I replay it. And I'm like, I'm like, man, this, this is on to something. You know what I mean? And so at that point in time, everything else passed that, dude, it, it had to be pure, like, rapport basic. If there was if there was no rapport there, there's there's no money in the deal. Because when I go and talk to Omar, you know, I'm sure you know, I'm sure you see Omar yeah. every post, right? And he's saying, hey, you know, these deals sell here, yada, yada, yada. Once I had that deal sold, I'm talking to Omar every single day trying to find out, okay, who are your best buyers? Where are they at? What do they want? Because if, if I can have that in my head, I don't have to go run an ARV, right? It's like, all right, I have an owner finance guy in San Antonio. He's going to owner finance everything at 130000 As long as it's under ninety, he's buying it at ninety. I don't need to run any ARV for that. I just need to get it below ninety. You know what I mean? Right, exactly. It's and, easy. and that's why I wanted to bring it to that point because – you know, I think so often we get in this formula-based acquisition yeah. where it's like, you know, the 70% of ARV minus repairs. But if you know you have a buyer at a certain price and you know that they're looking in this neighborhood, Thanks. you just got to go get your spread. That's what you're looking yeah. for. And you're solving your buyer's problem. Like that's what they're wanting. They want the, they're telling you exactly what they want. Um, and it's very key to have that. So you know, for the people that are listening that are, you know, smaller shops where they don't have maybe acquisitions and dispositions, maybe they're a one or two man shop. How do you kind of juggle the balance there between am I focusing on acquisitions or am I focusing on focusing on dispositions? Because, you know, everybody tells you, you make your money on acquisitions. Yeah. But technically speaking, you're making your money on the dispositions when you know where your buyer's at, and then you go make the spread on the acquisition. So it's almost like you kind of have to know who's going to be buying these properties on the back end to, to get them, especially nowadays. Like, look, you know, Cassie and I started this back in 2014, really got the ball rolling in 2015. Yeah. Things are a lot different now. It's, it's the prices keep going up. Keep, people keep buying with smaller and smaller margins. COVID has kind of changed that a little bit, but it's highly competitive now. And I'm not saying it wasn't competitive back then, but it's more competitive today than it was back then. So uh, for a smaller shop, where should they be spending their time as far as acquisitions and then dispositions and kind of balancing that, knowing where their buyer's at and where they should be trying to buy their properties at? So I'm obviously super biased, right? Pro acquisitions, you know, for the life. Like I'd probably get it tatted on me if I did tattoos. But the, if it was me and I was a small shop, 
I'm going to focus on acquisition. And it's, it's only for one reason, for one simple reason. I've never sold a Ferrari a day in my life. Never, never sold a Ferrari. Never sold a Ferrari. Never driven one, sat in plenty of them, never drove one, right? But if I happen to have a Ferrari for 10 grand, okay, I don't need to be a, the greatest Ferrari salesman for someone to buy it from me because right. someone who has no Ferrari is going to buy it and they're going to see it's worth. You know what I mean? So my goal, when if I'm just a, a small shop, is to get a property as close to zero as possible. That should always be the goal. It's you versus right. you, right? The further it is away from zero, the harder it is going to be able to sell. The closer it is to zero, the easier it is to sell. Right. And it's always going to be at least worth something, you know. So if it was me, I would just really focus on learning how to get properties, not just lock up contracts, but how to get them as low as possible. My whole goal has to be get them as low as possible. It comes in and it looks like it's already a deal. Fantastic. Get it lower. Right. And after that guy even says, yes, I remember even try and get it even lower than that, because it's going to make it easier for whoever dispose your deal. Because yep. you can you, you can always go and find somebody to sell your deal. Right. But it's a lot harder to find somebody to come and just acquire one for you. Absolutely. And and I love what you just said. It's you against zero. Because I, I'm telling you, man, that's a that's a mindset thing of an acquisitions person that every acquisitions person should be at. Like, hey, we're starting at one dollar. Okay. That's, right. that, that's our initial offer. Because I, I can't tell you how many acquisitions people I've had come to me and they're like, hey, we got a deal, you know, they want 150000 and right off the bat, I'm kind of like, but is that a deal? Right. Like, right off the bat, like that doesn't sound like. I mean, if we're we're shooting for properties with less than two hundred fifty thousand our Airbnb and we're buying at one fifty, I mean, I mean, I'm just doing math. It ain't like we got a home run. Yeah. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, wh where are we at? You know, like I'm I'm like you, man. Like, uh, I, I had somebody from out of town. They called me and they said, "Hey, uh, I've got a lead in Dallas." Can you run comps for me? Tell me where we need to be. And uh, he said, where do you think? And it's funny because of your poster in the background. Uh, he said, uh, where do we need to be? And I said, 23,000. He was like, RJ, the, the Airbnb is like 250. And I was like, yeah, if you get it at 23,000, we got a hell of a deal on our hands, right? You know, it, that's kind of where my mind goes. You know, it's like, what do you mean? Where do we need to be? Like, get it as low as you possibly can. That's the whole point in acquisitions. And I, I will say this about the Closers Olympics again. That's the one thing I wish all of us would have done a better job. I wish we, the, the, the clock really played an impact on this, but none of us were going for the extremely discounted properties. Yeah. Like we, like you and I will do that on a daily basis. Like we'll, we're going to shoot our shot and try to get them deep. Right. Yeah. But we're not going to do that when we got seven minutes left on the clock and we're in a competition. Right. So that was a, a, a downside for the competition aspect. So, let's talk about that where you buy really deep because i think this is one of the issues that i see with people you know i talk to them and it's like uh you know my average wholesale fee is you know twelve thousand dollars and i'm like well let's stop right there like let's get that higher and how do you get that higher you buy deeper right so mindset wise of going in and i know we've got to touch base on this a little bit but it's like how do you really get the guys to realize like if you're telling them that it's okay to lock it up at 70,000, how do you get that guy to go out and try to get it at 50,000 or 40,000? How do you get those big monster assignment fees by buying extremely deep? How do you convince them to do that? Okay. So, so what you have to do, right? You have to go contrary to popular belief. Uh, one of the advantages I have is that I didn't read any 
wholesaling real estate books, right? Before I started wholesaling, because all they do, sorry for my language, is a mind fuck you, right? Yep. Some old guy who, whoever wrote these books, they chances are, if they were poor, they were poor a long time ago, okay? So they probably forgot how to be poor or how poor people think, which is the most important thing ever, right? You see books called, you know, Think and Grow Rich, How to Think Like a Rich Person, blah, blah, blah. You need to understand how poor people think because if you understood how poor people think, it wouldn't be hard for you to offer somebody 40,000 who has zero dollars. You know what right. I mean? So what I have my guys do is so that they don't have to worry about, you know, offering too much money is I don't allow them to get on Zillow. They can't get on Propelio. They can't do any shots of Propelio, right? They can't, uh, they can't run the ARV before they're done talking with the customer. You can't do it. It's not allowed, right? If I catch you on Zillow or you're on the phone with the customer, you're doing pushups right in the office. Nice. And the, the reason why that is, is the moment like right now, RJ, like if I told you, all right, the house is the ARV of a house is 250,000, right? What's the minimum the customer's going to take? In your mind, a number's going to click already. You see yeah. what I'm saying? And it doesn't matter how good you are, even if you're RJ, me, who cares who you are, right? It's, it's a natural reaction. But if you know how people think, you can eliminate that. So if I don't know what the house is worth, I don't know what to offer you. By you the know? way, the, the number that popped in my head was the minimum, like, uh, the, like the lowest they'll possibly go is 100,000. You see, you see what I'm saying? So already there'd be no way that we'd be able to get that for 70, 80, 25, 35. But, and who knows what's going on with that person? Right. So people, people are telling people, this is what they're telling people, is to make sure they're doing all. And this is contrary to popular belief, unpopular opinion, right? I'm super toxic because I just tell the truth. They tell people, hey, man, go through, get these great apps, run all these numbers, then call the guy. It's like, you mind fuck yourself, you mind fuck yourself, you mind fuck yourself, and you're not even realize you're doing it. Because there's right. no possible way for you to see the quote unquote value in the house and then tell somebody, you know, something else because you don't believe in it. It's a belief system, right? If you're not saying it with conviction, like, you know, I can probably do between 20 and 30 grand. Okay. That's hard to do when you know the house is worth 250,000 because right. you're thinking, all you're going to think is how you would feel like, oh, I swear to you 50. He's not going to do that. But chances are the customer didn't wake up today right out of bed, ran comps and was like, oh, I'm going to try and sell my property today. I got the three most recent comps in the area within a fourth mile in the last six months. And these are the, the most recent rehabs like that. Nobody, nobody does that. And if right. they do that, hang up because he ain't the one for you. <laughs> exactly. So look, I, I know you've got your team underneath you, you know, of, of acquisitions managers. When a new guy comes in, like you talked about, you went and got guys from the gym, right? That, that you used to work with. They come in and you're telling them, Hey, you're going to, you know, you're going to try to get this at 25, 30 grand. Do you ever see them like when it gets to that point where they're like almost nervous or scared to make that offer? Like, how do you get them out of that? Cause I, I am telling you, man, I, we just had a closing in Hawaii two days ago and the mobile notary comes to the office Yeah, and she's a licensed realtor and she's telling me she saved up all this money and she wants to get in the house flipping. And she says, how, how can I, how can I get started? And I said, well, first you need to start with wholesaling. And I truly believe that. Like I, if you've got some money saved up, don't go buy a house to flip it. Like go wholesale a couple properties and see how they perform. Right? right. So I tell her to do this and she's like, yeah, I just don't know if that's, that's the right thing for me because I cold called for nine months straight and I never got one deal. And I could tell like she was just, timid and like she didn't want to go out there and make those offers that she knew she needed to make so even for you going and getting these guys that are probably 
you know, testosterone, you know, younger guys just ready to, to go conquer the world, right? And then all of a sudden, it's it's hard to just shoot those low offers. Yeah. How do you convince them to be okay with doing that? So I, I kind of soften them up first. Like I have a, a a series of customers who I've dealt with before. And these guys, they have to know the basic principles of sales, right? The basis of any sales, regardless of it's real estate, trash cans, peanuts, who cares what it is, right? Is identifying a customer's wants and needs and fulfilling it, right? Identify their needs, fulfill it. Identify their needs, fulfill it, okay? So, you know, I'll just replay them calls uh, and text messages of customers who, like, uh, one lady, her house was worth, I think, um, like 190000 she ended up getting 32,000 for it, right? A lot of people say that's a low ball offer. That lady texts me on Christmas. She texts me every Thanksgiving. She texts me on my birthday. She's just sent me photos because she had a hip surgery uh, two months ago and I bought her house. Uh, this was February, 2019. Wow. And we still talk to teams and she's already sold two other properties to me since then, right? And so it's like understanding and showing them that you're not doing something that's bad. Like people think like, oh, I'm giving somebody a lowball offer. I'm stealing their house from them. Right. You're not buying a house from someone who needs 20,000 if you give them 20,000. That makes absolutely no sense. You're helping. Absolutely. I completely agree. And, and here's the thing about it is, is that when we talk about acquisitions and it's so easy to just go from saying you need to build rapport to then how do you make the offer? Right. And there's so much in between there that I think people really just skip those steps and they don't want to get better at it. And I, I hear it, man. I mean, I, I've had acquisitions people where I've heard the phone calls. I've gone back and read the text messages and I've had those conversations where I'm like, dude, you, you just, you went to the offer stage way too fast or whatever it is. I mean, I know you guys don't make offers, but, I'm just using that term for everybody that that understands what we're talking about. Actually, talking about money. That's right. And and, and how the transaction is going to go down, right? Yeah. And not fully understanding what they need. Mm -hmm. Now, I will say this: there is a certain aspect of the lead generation side of things where you're actually finding people that are motivated to sell, right? Facts. So let's talk about that because. You guys, y'all have a large team, a lot of markets. Y'all are doing a lot of marketing, right? Yeah. How often are you, as the acquisitions person on the phone, cutting the seller and saying, this person's not motivated. Yep. We're not going to get where I need to be, so I'm moving on. How often are you doing that? Uh, I do that all the time, all the, like like clockwork. Like if I, if I walk on the sales floor and I hear you talking to somebody and it sounds like a dead end, we're getting out of there. You're wasting right. your Right. Some people want to they think that just because this person will talk to me and they'll entertain my conversation, building rapport, it's going to be a deal. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You know, a lot of people are nice. Everyone, everyone to sell you their house. Right. right. Anybody whose house is worth it's, it's a fuck check. We like to call them or somewhere in the ghetto and I offer you a million dollars. Every single customer wants to sell me their house. Right. So you're not I'm not giving kudos out for someone wanting to do business with you. OK. You give anybody three times what their values, but they're going to want to do business with you unless you're just a jackass. You know? <laughs> so like when you're on the phone with these people, you got to be able to understand within probably the first eight to 10 minutes. I know it seems like a long time, right? But the first eight to 10 minutes, enough to build rapport because at first time they're going to give you is automatic trash, right? Yeah. I need to build at least enough rapport to get at least a realistic number. Okay. If I became your friend and you still give me a shout out number, 
this might, and I'm not saying you're never going to be a deal, but today might not be the day, right? right. It's like a used tire salesman's, right? Might call you today. Hey, do you want to buy, do you want to buy some tires? Nope. Want to buy some tires? Nope. Want to buy some tires? Nope. But follow game is strong. You pop your tire and I call you back. Hey, you want to buy a tire? Now that day you might want to do business. Right. But so we get to that age 10 minutes. He's not there. We set that follow up. You know, I'm going to try you back in 48 hours. If you're not with it, try you back one more 48 hours. If not, after that, I'm going to set you up in a week. And then we're going to put you and we're going to have a lead manager hit you up every once in a while. Hit you with a text blast. Exactly. Right. When I'm done with this podcast uh, interview, I've got to go find out what we're going to offer on a deal in Cincinnati that we've basically been following up for two months. Yep. That's and, what and, and all it's been is objection, objection. We're going to get a realtor to come over. We're, we know that repairs need to be done. We'll take care of the repairs. We're going to get bids on the repairs. All of this back and forth. And, it, and to be honest with you, at some point in time, it was almost like, all right, we're, we're wasting our time. Like they're not motivated. Right. Well, sure enough, guess what she did at four o'clock in the morning? Mm -hmm. She was hitting up the lead manager, sending yep. a text message. Yep. I need to sell right now. I need right. to, you guys have been following up with me. What are you going to, what are you going to be willing to offer me? That's, that's what we're talking about though, because now I know everything that she's told us so far, she was going to talk to a realtor. So she's done that, right? right. Obviously the realtor went over there and told her, I can't sell this. It's yeah. got way too many repairs needed. So then she told us she was going to get repair bids and she would just take care of herself. So obviously the repair bids came back and were way yeah. too high. Yeah. So she can't do it. So now I know we're her only option. Mm -hmm. That's now what do we do? Now we know we can go real deep. Yeah, deep. Right. Now the conversation, this is where the closers come in, mm -hmm. right? Now we come in and we have the real conversation about what do you need this money for? Like, yep. what do you actually need? Right? Because you obviously didn't have the money to do the repairs. You can't sell it on the market. I'm your solution. Where do you need to be? And this is what we're talking about. And so I, look, I, I think it's funny because so many people are, obviously we had a thousand people watch the closers Olympics, right? For 20 hours of us just sitting there on the phone talking to people, there was a thousand people. I think on average, it was like 900 something people were watching at any second. So almost everybody was there watching as we were going. Yep. Why is this such a, like, why do people struggle with this aspect of the business? Like what, honestly, I, and I'm curious about this because this is not something that I, I feel like this is what we do. I, I don't feel like we're we're anything else than people that are coming in and acquiring properties at a marketing company. So why do you think that this is such a struggle for certain people? I think it's a, I think it's a struggle, honestly, because people get too they get too serious, man. Like yep. they get they, they get way too serious and they lose the people, the human aspect of it. Right. Like when you understand that. Humans have everyday problems just like you, no matter who it is on the phone, right? Regardless, they have a million dollars or zero dollars, right? Everybody has problems in, in some aspect. And at any point in time, whatever our problems are, are larger than everything else. Things don't matter. You know what I mean? Like you ever uh, stub your toe at that point in time, nothing else matters except for, except for that toe. Cause you stub right. it hurts so bad, right? People are dying everywhere. People dying of coronavirus, but you stubbed your toe in that. <laughs> And so I think people have a hard time because they're serious and they forget to ask people about the stub toe, which which is actually making them do anything. Right. And worried about being serious, 
being a really smart real estate investor, being super educated, right? And they want they want to just know so much and be a freaking know-it-all when it's a people business, right? Let me talk right. to you. Let me be your friend. I know we have some some commonality. If you love the Chiefs, I love the Chiefs, right? And then we just we just go from there and then you'll want to do business with me. Yeah. Right. Make people do business. Like they have to want to do business. And it's the- funny. Like let's talk about how you ended up being on the podcast. You and I didn't know each other before the closers of Olympics. Mm-hmm. And and to be honest with you, Antonio and I have had some hilarious conversations through our IG chats uh, because we we had a group chat for the Closer Olympics. And I think we could both just tell like, hey, dude, we were trying to make people laugh. We're cutting jokes, making fun of everybody. That's how I approach my every day, even acquisitions, man. I know that things are going right when I'm laughing on the phone. Another person's laughing on the yeah, phone. They're in the back. If we're not laughing and it's just dead serious, man, to be honest with you, I'm a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. I'm like, what, what, what's happening here? Like, yeah. why, why is this person so, because I'm trying to make them laugh. You know what I'm saying? So, it, you know, I think it's very important that people understand that they need to relax. But I think people struggle with that. So what are some of the things that you can do? For like when you when you train your guys, like how do you tell them how to relax and just kind of become themselves? Uh, I'll share a story about your boss Donnie. He always talks about how much he he doesn't have a good personality. Which, by the way, I think Donnie has a great personality. I think he's hilarious. But he talks about how when he did door to door knocking sales, um, he always tried to make them laugh before he came in inside to, to close the deal. But he was so awkward. He thought they were laughing at him, not with him. Yeah. And but how do you get to the point where, you know, you're convincing your guys that maybe they're a little bit uncomfortable because they're not experienced to so like kind of slow down and try to add some humor and and build that rapport that way. Yeah. So we we focus on the most important part of the conversation, right? It's going to be the introduction. Okay. That first two to three minutes is going to make or break you know, the whole the whole tone for the conversation. Now, a true closure, you can blow in the first two, three minutes and then recover, right? right. But the, the average guy, you blow in the first two, three minutes, you're hearing something that sounds like this. How much can I get from my house? What do you have to offer? I don't have time, right? Give me, just text me an offer, you know? Yep. So we play we play certain games like um, like ABC icebreakers where we just write letters on the board. Uh, we, we scratch it out and then you have to start whatever sentence you're going to say with with that letter. So like if, if it's B, it's like, uh, Bert Bonanza here. How you doing? My name is, you know, like little things like that to get the customer laughing and started off from a different standpoint. Because right. when when you buy, get these free scripts, right? And they say, hi, my name is Chuck. I'm calling by your house over on 1th Main Street. It's the whole goal is, is the Trojan horse, right? Because when you, right. when you think like simple psychology, okay? When you get those robocallers and it's like, hi, I'm calling about the health system, blah, blah. It's instant jam, right? And saying, hi, I'm calling by your house and went through Main Street. Okay, great. 95 other wholesalers called this guy, said the same thing. Okay. It was all boring. They didn't want to hear it then. And not to mention, they already know what you're talking about. You know, we try to uh, get what's familiar. So like, for example, if I'm going to call my best friend, like Jeremy, I'm never going to call Jeremy and say, hi, Jeremy, it's Antonio. How are you doing today? Right. This was up, Jeremy. How are you doing? Like, that is how I talk to them. That's how you would talk to your customers. Because you want to get about two minutes in before they try and figure out, wait, who is this? You know, you want it to seem as if you're one of their friends again in that familiar space because everybody knows that that people give their friends, family members better prices. Yep. Like 
you're going to give your grandmother a better price than you are some stranger for who know who cares what it is just because she's your grandma right because you know her you want to get in that same friend space and so we train them to do it as quick as possible by doing things like having good icebreakers even if you're even if you're corny have one one or two that you can just rotate in between right and, and just rattle that thing off until it works i love it i love it now i will say this so for anyone that heard my interview with hbhs guys down in san antonio we basically broke down my aggressive strategy and techniques that I use. And, and I used the going straight for, hey, I'm calling about 123 Main Street and I want to buy your property. Now, going into the Closers Olympics, we were told that we were just the closers and these were warm vetted leads. And so I approached it much differently than if I'm cold calling. Yes. Because if I'm calling, if I'm cold calling and I'm just like, Hey, I'm calling about one, two, three Main Street. They're gonna think like either a I'm a debt collector or yeah. you know I mean it's, uh, something <laughs> not good. Like I'm I'm not a good guy. Right. Yeah. right. So uh, I, th- it, it's interesting how you can kind of tweak things. And look, I we saw that across the board. I mean, Steve Train was the master of being negative, right? I mean, right off the bat, he's like, I probably didn't catch you at a good time, right? You know, over and over and over again, just neg- he was always pulling back and negative. Uh, do you, you don't really do the negative very much, do you? No, I, I try I try not to. Uh, I try and like if I'm saying anything that might sound negative, I'm always laughing when I say, like, oh, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> it's very mass. I'm joking, but you're going to get my point. You know, Right. Right. And look, man, I did you ever did y'all end up getting the deal that that you were trying to close? Yeah, so the, the guy that was going through probate? Yeah. Yeah. So, see, and that's the thing about a good closer. Maybe you didn't get it during your round in those, you know, 18 minutes that you had left when you finally got him on the phone. But you eventually got the deal. And and I think that's very key for our, us to explain that through all of these conversations that we're talking about, it sounds like we're talking about one conversation, but we're really not. This majority of the time, you're going to have five to seven conversations with this seller before it finally gets around to closing the deal. Unless it's just like, hey, a lay down scenario where it's just the ideal perfect storm. But majority of the time, it's going to take multiple phone calls where you're building that rapport, fully understanding their situation, making sure they're in the right position to actually close their property, you know? I mean, a lot of times people will tell you, and it's facts, like a probate situation, like, I I can't sell it today. I mean, I'm interested in talking about it, but I I can't do anything for another six weeks. Yeah, It doesn't matter what kind of closer you are. That's just the reality of like life and law, you know? So being a good closer, these building that rapport and look, understand that there's times where you think you've built rapport with a seller. And then you call them the next time and it's like they don't know who you are anymore it hurts it hurts it, it does and you're like but man i thought this we were laughing and joking and they invited me over for coffee and you know so understand that you just every time it's like a new performance like you're right back on stage so let's let's talk about the the before we wrap up here let's talk about the closers olympics well what were your overall, overall thoughts about it? Did, did you think it was uh, an enjoyable experience and educational for everybody? I thought it was very educational. That's one thing I thought was cool. I thought it was very entertaining. 
uh i i do like that the the drama unfolded for it that was pretty cool you know right. the whole concept uh of the closed limit i think is badass it's super badass you know right. but i do think i was a few kinks that need to be worked out uh you know a couple chinks in the armor but you know overall as far as the experience being able to call the people's leads i think that's great i think people got a ton of value um you know from that and if they didn't take any value from it they need to go back and watch it again because the value is there Right. It's about what you can take and what you and what you apply. You know, people who just watch it and don't apply any of the methods that they learn, that's on them. But if you're smart, you're gonna watch it, take every piece. I mean, it's you can literally plagiarize people's words. Like if you like what somebody says, take it and say it to somebody. Chances are it's gonna make you some money. Absolutely. Dude, I did it during the during the calls. I yeah. mean, I was literally using because I went fifth on uh -huh. day one. So I watched you, Steven, Aaron, and then Steve Train. I mean, I was literally using some of the stuff I watched you guys do in y'all's first couple of rounds. Uh, I will say the most underrated moment of the Closers Olympics was something you did, which was, and I can't remember exactly what you called it, but it was 30-minute realty. 30-minute realty, yeah. yeah. 30-minute realty was like one of the most epic moments of the Closers Olympics, and no one talked about it. I think it was because you went first, and it was like, the day just kept on going, but man, that that was a that was an awesome moment because obviously, guys, we only had thirty minutes to close, and so you know, Antonio was saying, "Hey, I'm calling for thirty minute realty." Uh, I thought that was hilarious. But um, outside of that, you know, what who did you think that you know provided something that you learned or just a, a technique or something that they said that maybe you've implemented since the closers Olympics? Um. Or was there any? Because I mean, look, hey, we're all we're all kind of like we've got our own ways of doing things. I you know. know. I'm super like uh, pro me, right? You know. Uh, but you know, here, here's the good thing: every every great can take something from somebody else. You know what right. I mean? Like like regardless who it is, like like even I went I went against Stephen, right? And I got robbed. Uh, but besides that, Stephen has Stephen has he has great structure. I think like some of the things that he did, if I was to implement. Um, new guys into a like a cookie cutter like assembly line method. I think he has a he has a great strategy for that, right? He's very methodical. I think I guarantee you, if I played ninety of his calls, they all sound the same, yeah, right. But at least you know you can get predictive results, you know, from things like that. So I, I thought that, I thought that was great. Um, I thought you did a fantastic job. I was highly impressed. I had never heard you on the phones, right? Never heard the phone, but I knew since you were from the DMW era, you're going to be great, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> There was no surprise there. Uh, yeah, no, it, it was it was fun, man. And, and look, I thought your round with Steven was one of the more interesting rounds because it was the first round to go by. I don't think the judges fully understood how to judge the scorecard. No, he right? had how they were going to do it yet. Right, and and then also there was the this was the the first and, and look, I'm gonna I'm gonna preface this before I go all in on Carlos. Okay, I love Carlos. I'm going to be seeing him next week. Yeah. Uh, he's my friend, so I can say whatever the hell I want about him, okay? Great guy. This, this was the first awkward moment with Carlos. He, he struggled. He had, a, he had a tough showing at the Closers Olympics. Yeah. Like, right. he, started, he started coaching Steven during y'all's round. Yeah, super. Uh, I was like, wow. <laughs> so that's what I wanted to ask you. Like, what, what were you doing in the background while Carlos is like, Steven, say this. Steven, do this. I'm like, 
at first I was curious if everyone else could hear it besides me. You know, <laughs> I was like, maybe it's like a private chat where no one can hear. It. Then I realized it was live and everyone could hear it. Right. And uh, I was like, all right. I was like, maybe someone's gonna say something or they're gonna cut it off the air, you know, or do something like that. But it just never happened. And then I was like, wow. I was like, I mean, it's very, 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 very hard to win if they're coaching the guy to say, hey, this is what I want to hear you say. Go ahead and say it. I'm like, so, so there's a, there was a funny moment in my second round. So Brent Daniels didn't think that I could hear them. Uh, and, and Brent is trying to like do the commentary to the, to the audience. Right. And he's like, and I can't remember what he said, but he was like, at this point in time, like in his, in his golfer announcer voice, you know, like at this point in time, this is what I would say. And I literally repeated it. And Brent's face is like, <laughs> Are you can hear me? And I'm like, yeah, I can hear you, bro. But thanks for the tip. That was a good one. <laughs> and so it it was look, there were some moments in, in the competition that is like obvious that you know the scoring was a little bit rough. Like I think Brent gave you some points for getting a contract when you didn't get a contract. I think you did the same thing for Steven. Um, but I, I will, I will stand on record. I, I love Steven. Uh, I thought you won the first round. Sure. I thought you were going to win the first round. Um, and, and, and it's not anything against Steven. No, um, I, I, I said this before and, and I'll say it again, the, the people that I did not want to face in the first round were people that all they do is acquisitions all day long. Yeah, I was like, give me, give me these bougie CEOs that sit around and worry about all this other shit. Like, I don't want to worry about the dude that's just like a freaking assassin on the phones all day. Except for Andy, he's trash. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm just kidding, Andy. Not really. But uh, anyways, so you know, there there were some fun, uh, fun times in the closer Olympics. Um, I, I look very much look forward to seeing how they make some changes moving forward. Uh, hope that hope that you and I both get to participate in it next year. Um, you know, you also had kind of a weird circumstance where Donnie was supposed to participate. And then when Donnie saw that I was actually in it, he realized he was going to get his ass kicked. He couldn't even win in his own city, much less in the, the competition. So he, he, he booted himself out and threw you to the fire. What were your thoughts when he came to you and was like, hey, do you want to do this competition? With all these people that are are known, I mean, let's be real. Yeah, most people did not know who you were before the closer Olympics, right? Yeah, for sure. So, what were your thoughts about that? Oh, I, well, I mean, if he ever asked me, like on the real note, every day, like I know their shit is nothing personal. One, let me disclaimer: I love everybody. Everyone's great. Everyone gets money. That's what's important is that they get money. Now, right. reality, right? I think all their shit is super watered down. It's fucking lame. That's that's, that's that's what I think, right? Because they've all, I mean, if you if you really think about it, if you said, catch them, catch them all one-on-one. Hey, guys, how'd you learn about wholesaling, right? What were the books that taught you, okay? How'd you do it and blah, blah, blah. Okay, you ask them all one-on-one. You take all that information, put it together. It's all going to be the exact same. It's all going to be the exact same. So you can tell, like, their preference and their styles because that's what they would say, right? It doesn't mean that it's the best way. Okay, it's just how they learn. So they assume that it's the best because they don't know anything else. Right. But my thing is, babies, babies, they drink freaking formula. Okay. I think it's the greatest thing at that time. Okay. But they don't realize that steak is out there. All right. (laughs) 
they go sell their formula. I'm going to continue to eat steak. And that's literally how I feel. So I, I felt no pressure. That's why I wanted to go first. I'm just like, regardless of how they feel, they, they're not going to pass on a second round just because you can't have a no-name person, right, destroy you. You can't do that. It's too, it's too risky, too much money at stake. Okay. <laughs> but I did know, I did know one thing though, for me to advance, I knew I had, that's why I was disappointed. I had to close somebody on the phone because it had to be unanimous decision to where I could not get up. We're going we're gonna to call it manipulated, right? Manipulate just because like, I, I know the deal. Like I've heard them all. Yep. I know what they're preaching. I know what it is. I know what it's designed to do. And I know what my methods are designed to do, you know? Absolutely. Not- Dude, I felt the same way going into day two. Yeah. So, so the way this worked was, you know, day one, it wraps up. There was some drama around Keith Everett's, you know, round, like, were they going to let him do it again? Were they not? Because he didn't get any leads. Um, so they finally decide around midnight that, okay, uh, Adrian's moving on. You know, Diddy's out, right? How do you feel about that? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, how how do you feel about that? Oh, how do I feel about that? Uh, I, I thought it was the right decision. Uh, mm-hmm. Keith had a legitimate lead mm-hmm. in Nebraska, and and he dropped the ball on it. Um, he he's you know the guy asked him, "Are you here local to Nebraska?" And he said yes, and he should have said no. And, and I felt like because of that lead and because of that seller and that moment that, yeah, he, he should have lost, you know. So I, I think it was a tough decision, though, because everybody wanted to see Keith do his thing. Yeah. And that was like his one chance. But let's be real. There was other people that only had one chance. Aaron Bevins only had one chance as well because he was hand dialing. Yeah. So I, I thought that was fine. Um, so anyways. They, they let us know at midnight that Adrian's advancing. And they're like, all right, guys, we're going to figure out who's going against you. So I stayed up a little bit later, and I'm finally like, dude, I'm tired. Like, this is a long day. I know I've got another long day coming, which could be uh, an hour and a half of calling, you know, because I'm thinking I'm going to the finals. I'm like, I'm going to bed. Yeah. So I wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning, and I look, and I see I'm going against Adrian. And I, I had the same thoughts as you. I'm like, there's only one way I'm advancing. I have to get a contract. If I don't get a contract, I mean, I'm going, the, one of the judges is his brother-in-law and yeah. his main man. I mean, and we already saw how the judge went down on day one with them. So <laughs> I, I knew how it was going to go down. And uh, that's why, you know, I, I had some people talking about how negative I was during my second round because I got heated. Um, I and, and one guy said, you know, RJ's going to come back and apologize. Well, let me go ahead and tell you, I ain't fucking apologizing for anything, okay? Wow. So, um, I, I'm not apologizing because at the end of the day, I told, I, I was told I was getting warm vetted leads and I got four properties that were listed on the MLS. Yeah. So I don't know what the hell they were vetting back there, but <laughs> it, that's, that's just not the way it's supposed to work. And so I'm sitting here going and, and I stand by what I said, Hey, I'm trying to put on a show here and I can't do that. Right. Uh, with this, with this is being provided. And if I'm being judged on how I'm doing my job, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to judge y'all on how y'all are doing y'all's job. And uh, that, that's how I felt about it. But at the end of the day, man, great feedback from it. I, I loved it. I love that it gave, you know, all of us a platform to go out there and showcase our skills. Uh, I thought you did a great job in your round, man. Uh, was there anything, looking back at it, was there anything you would have changed about your round uh, to, to try to advance? I mean, I'll, I'll... Man, that's, that's that's tough because like 
it's 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 morals. I had so much room to where I could just gave that guy a lump sum of money, and yep. he was like, "Oh yeah, I'll do it right now." But it just goes against everything of me, like as a person and like what I stand for. You know what I mean? Like in the real world, because I have my own guys. I can't. I, I wouldn't do it in the office, so I can't go on you know this stage and do it in front of a thousand people because now I'm a fraud. I, I can't be that guy. So uh, I think, I think honestly, I probably could have. Uh, cut off some of the calls earlier that I was talking to, to really try and get to a spicy one. You know what I mean? Yeah. And if I, if I wanted to advance, I could, I could have played the points, but I just, I just don't know. I just don't know if, if I could have done it, maybe I'm just too, my ego's too big to sacrifice and try and win something. Well, look, it's all, it's all about what did you want to show people? Did right. You want to show people what you do on a daily basis, which I think is what both you and I did, yep. which is why you're on my podcast. And, and look, at the end of the day, do I have the biggest platform out there? No, but I do have a platform. I wanted to showcase you because I respected what you did. Yeah. Um, you know, some people, they got to take home crowns. They got to cry on camera. They get to call themselves uh, some title um, that they, they were given. Um, you know, they were doing exactly what you're talking about, where – straight up on the screen it's saying mao 20 something thousand and they're locking it up for thirty thousand and getting praise for it um also it hurts people uh yeah exactly uh, there was one closer also that that took home a, a title afterwards um that the seller told him at the beginning of the call i will sell you my house for five thousand dollars and he locked it up for seven thousand um, that's what most of us would call very bad negotiating skills. Yes. Um, but hey, to other people, that makes them a king. To me, I would prefer to just be the people's champ like I was. And I will continue the lock deals up for 5000 when the seller tells me 5000 instead of 7000 So right. I think I've said my piece about that. Uh, Antonio, thank you so much for uh, for coming on here, man. I wasn't going to try to make this an hour-long episode, but you got me rambling about the closing yeah. Olympics, damn it. Sorry, my man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, that's our episode, guys. Uh, we have to go close deals now because this is what we actually do. Um, we, we actually just uh, sit here and uh, close deals all day, every day. Antonio, thank you for coming on here, sharing all the wisdom that you have. Uh, any final thoughts before we sign off? Uh, nothing, man. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, everyone go follow me on Instagram. I'm uh, probably going to change my handle here in like two days anyways, right to the toxic closer. I got it like a week ago. I was waiting on my logo. Nice. Uh, other than that, man, uh, if you guys are out there and you guys are, you know, have deals in DFW or anywhere literally in the world, uh, go ahead and hit us up. Uh, SellTheKeys.com. We'll move, we'll move your deals for you. If you need help renegotiating, I can help you renegotiate a deal. And I promise you it's going to be less than what you think you were going to get it for. Uh, and it won't be 2K over, and I'm not going to pat myself on the back. That's for damn <laughs> I love it. All right, guys. Um, that's our episode. And like I tell you every week, I'm actually going to change this because I don't think people listen all the way to the end. So I'm gonna, I think moving forward, I'm going to add this in the beginning. I only accept five-star ratings on iTunes. Um, if you want to give me anything less than five stars, go find the All In podcast. Um, they really like things at two stars. Give them two stars. Give me five stars. And uh, if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you hit the thumbs up and the subscribe button. All right, guys. See you all next week. 
Thanks so much for listening to the Titanium Vault with your host, RJ Bates III. For more info and to stay up to date, visit www.podcast.thetitaniumvault.com and on facebook.com slash thetitaniumvault. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time on the Titanium Vault. Titanium Vault.